This is Michael French of Retroblasting, and you're listening to The Atomic Podcast, which is not a reference to 1950s Silver Age comic books. stimulation by way of mobile devices welcome to another exciting episode of the atomic podcast and here is your host of the show Efren guzman intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices welcome to another exciting episode of the atomic podcast coming to you live from delavan wisconsin where i blow up the news on a verbal scale i am your host Efren guzman my guest today he is the youtube sensation and the star one of the stars of retro blasting michael french michael welcome to the show man and how are you I am doing well. How are you, sir? Ah, uh, I'm doing okay. Just um, I'm ready sick of snow. All this snow should have been left back in December, but it is what it is in the Midwest out here. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some of the photos from some of my other friends, and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you, I don't know if you know the martial artist Cynthia Rothrock, but yes. she just posted to yeah, she just posted to her feed. Somebody photoshopped her doing the splits, but they photoshopped. She was already doing the splits, but they took that photo because she's a martial artist. Obviously, she can do the splits. Yeah. They photoshopped her on a picture of their wife pushing a snow shovel. <laughs> so it looks like it looks like she's clearing the snow out on the end of a snow shovel, which is pretty funny. <laughs> That's freaking awesome! I'm surprised they didn't put Bernie in there. Now they have these Bernie memes. I'm surprised they didn't yep. put that in there. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just, yeah. Just using those mittens to like push the snow out of the way. Yep. You know, um, before we start, you know, I just want to tell you, um, YouTube has been a plethora for many, many talented people and collectors from Analog Toys, um, Rob Observations. There's a lot of shows out there, Midnight's Edge. There's a lot, a lot of shows out there. And you're, you're one of those nuggets out there, Retro Blasting, which is a very informative and very detailed show about figures and the show's history. Um, first of all, what, how did you, I'm sure you've probably been asked plenty of times, but um, what made you decide to do a YouTube channel and um, what is it about collecting that you love about so much? Yeah, uh, it was, it was weird. I was, and I, you'll find that I say that, you know, how everybody has like a sentence starter tell. Yeah. My sentence starter tells are, I sat back and. Or it was weird. So get ready for that one because I'm trying to break myself of those and it just never happens. Um, I was, this was back in 2012. Let's take the DeLorean back to 2012. And okay. I was trying to find videos about the Panache Place Voltron combining toy from 1985. And uh, I, I'd owned it as a child. I was... A lifelong, I am a lifelong toy collector. Uh, I never quite stopped. In other words, when I stopped playing with toys, I still wanted to acquire and collect the ones I wanted but never got. Mm. Um, and, I, and I kept most of the ones that I had as a kid in various conditions, few lost accessories. But I, through the magic of eBay, when I was in college, I started to slowly piece together my figures again. You know, I started to get the missing parts, do all that stuff. So... From about 2010 to 2012, I had been foraying outside of Vintage Star Wars to some of my other toys to try and get certain things back. And I was missing a lion blade for my yellow lion for my childhood Panache Place Voltron set. And I came across this video, uh, two guys talking about Panache Place Voltron. I thought, oh, cool, this sounds like something I'll want to watch. And I'm watching it. And they bring up the Voltrons, and the Voltrons look like cars that have been stripped down to blocks on the sidewalk. Like they look, they look like they've just been raided for all their parts. There was nothing left. It was basically the shells of the lions, sort of in robot mode, and the the hosts were not even no swords, nothing. And the hosts were telling you more than they could show you. They were talking about things that no longer were with the toy. And Melinda heard me complaining. Like I was, I, I was, I was yelling at the TV. That's what I was doing. I was yelling at the monitor. I was like, oh, come on. You know, I was like, this, this video is an hour and a half long and you guys don't even have the parts. What am I watching here? Like, what is, what is this? So Melinda comes over behind the, the computer chair 
she leans over, asks me what I'm watching. I tell her. And then she says, well, don't you have that toy in the case over by the TV? We were living in a townhouse at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was this, I had these display cases, which uh, incidentally were given to me by, by, by my parents, which were the display cases they had in their home when we when I was growing up in Nashville. So these display cases from the 80s now house my toys that I played in the floor in front of them with in the 80s. So it's it's very meta. It's very weird. So um, I looked over and I said, yeah, um, I do have that toy from childhood. She goes, well, yours is in almost perfect condition. And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, you've got a film background. And I'm like, yeah. And she, she could, she put on that face where it's like, Michael, you're not getting there fast <laughs> enough. And I was like, Oh, and she's like, you should do a, a YouTube channel to make the kind of videos that you want to see. Wow. And I was like, well, good point. So Melinda created retroblasting. She didn't create the name. Not that that's something to brag about. I wish I could have come up with a better name in the span of two weeks, but we were trying to get everything set up. And I finally landed on that. I wanted to call it, um, hi-fi sci-fi. But then I found out I found out that name had already been taken. So oh. I was like, oh, whoops. So I, I called it Retroblasting um, because I didn't want it to be just about toys. Like I wanted it to be – I wanted it to be something where I could foray into other areas of discussion if I wanted to. So I kept it sort of generic. I didn't want to call it like Toy Bin or, you know, Figure Land or anything like that. I yeah. wanted to – you know, so that's kind of how it got started. And the whole thing to answer your question about collecting and why I collect, um, my dad actively as a child tried, the, the poor man tried to get me into sports. He really did. <laughs> he failed. Yeah. Like he failed miserably. Uh, not for any, I was just not that kind of personality. I was fascinated by, um, Fiction. I was fascinated by stories of heroism. I was fascinated by the way things um, mechanically worked. I really like at, at the age of eight years old. I think it was. I was taking apart my X-wing and Y-wing fighters and all that kind of stuff to see how they worked. And I was drawing diagrams of what the inside of the toys looked like. And eventually, that led me to love model kits and wanting to be a, uh, a special effects model maker. But then Jurassic Park happened right as I started high school, and I realized that was over. So I, because computer-generated effects were the future, and so I was like, "Oh, well, bad timing once again." But the point is, is that I always loved toys and stories, and it all, it all kind of dovetailed because toys are mostly about heroes. They're they're depictions of heroes. The stories I love are about heroism. Um, and then my mechanical inclination as well, which is why I do restoration videos. It all kind of comes together with toys as a concept. So I just never got out of them. I just changed the way I interacted with them. So, you know, some people, the majority of people, they get to a certain age and toys lose complete interest for them because they don't play anymore. Well, I don't play anymore either, mm -hmm. but my interests in what they what they are and depict and how they function has never gone away. So even though I don't play with toys anymore, they still very much interest me in adult ways. Um, and so I always wanted to collect all of those different things that I remembered from when I was a kid because my, my memory for the 80s is better than my memory from last week. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know why, but I my personal memories of the 80s are, are sharper than the last month, two months, three months. Um, so I'll sit around a few years ago, you know, I would sit around and just chomp on the idea of, well, I always wanted the GI Joe Tomahawk chopper. I never got it. I was too late. Mm -hmm. I really want to find one. And then I just chew on it and I chew on it and I chew on it. And then I'd have to go get one to finally interact with it, see how it worked, how playable it was with the figures, what it could do. Um, that's what that's what's really spurred uh, my collecting focus. Yeah, I have that same aspect as well. Like I, I remember like collecting stuff and not feeling complete until I have it in my collection. Like like Snake Eyes with Timber always eluded me. I never had it. Like I never bought it myself. I always got it from a trade, but I never had the original. And like I think to this day, it still haunts me that I never had to own. You know. 
from I think it was the second version of Snake Eyes with Timber. Yep. I you know and I and I had Timber, but I had a paw that was broken, and that always irked me so much. I was like, damn, this fucking paw is broken, and I, I can't I can't find the wolf anywhere. But now it's so much so it's so much easier now with eBay and and um convent well not we don't even have conventions now because of the COVID, but conventions you can pretty much find stuff like that. So like, you know, I I understand about that collection bug, but um. As being a collector, is it, do you find yourself, like, almost, like, getting, like, dead broke trying to find certain stuff? Or do you come across good deals that some of the things you purchase, you get, you know, you get on the on, on the dime or whatnot? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I used to joke that uh, as a toy collector, you can solve all problems by just throwing money at it. Uh, that was my <laughs> joke. Uh, and, and it's true on some level. However... There are times where even if you have all the money in the world, that toy isn't available. Mm -hmm. Like you get to a point where there's a piece from one line or an entire line, let's say like Galaxy Rangers, Mm -hmm. where you can have all the money in the world, but that doesn't mean there'll be anything to buy. Like there's, they're just not out there. Um, I was the type of person that because I retained my childhood toys, it always started for me with what are the pieces that are missing that I can reunite with this toy that I've had since I was six. And then what pieces of this wave or this toy line or, or topic or whatever did I not have that I can acquire to finally cook, uh, complete this group or complete this run or complete this line. Um, and then it builds out from there because in the process of, trying to get a pile of weapons here or two or three figures here, you end up with duplicates. You end up with figures that are in better condition than your childhood ones. And so you quietly upgrade your cabinet displays and you slowly end up getting more and more. Now, as far as the price goes, um, when I started uh, the online collecting, say, eBay started in 98, and I was finally buying toys from eBay regularly around 2005-06. I was buying sporadically, but then by 5-6, I was doing it regularly. Um, It was cheaper at first to just buy parts. But I was, again, I was starting with things that I had from childhood that were actually more common franchises like G.I. Joe, Star Wars, Voltron things like that that were made in large numbers and were relatively successful. What I should have been doing, and you can't go back in time and fix this, what I should have been doing was collecting all the obscure stuff first because I was working on it backwards. I thought, well, the popular stuff is popular, so I need to grab what I can now to fill out my collection before the prices go up, right? What I didn't realize was The prices for those were already high and were just going to keep rising incrementally. The stuff that was only like 10, 20 bucks 10 years ago is now Star Wars and G.I. Joe prices. Silverhawks, Star Ears, you know, real Ghostbusters, um, uh, let me think, Robotech, uh, Starcom, all of those things that I was putting off a little bit, putting on the back burner, they've rocketed up. Now, I've gotten some of that stuff over the years. Um, but I've only collected what I call core samples. I haven't gone for the full complete runs of those. Uh, I guess what, what it boils down to with the price is that I have, I have paid out a lot for certain pieces that I feel are essential to a line of figures. So I rarely do complete runs. I collect what interests me, but there's always a piece or two, a figure or two or a vehicle or two that are essential to that core collection that seem to be rare. So for example, in superpowers, the Kenner superpowers line, you're never going to have a great display of superpowers. That's got the whole team unless cyborg is there. You've got to have Cyborg. But Cyborg is the hardest figure to find. Mm -hmm. Now, five, six years ago, I paid out for him. mint, And I collect loose. So that's almost even harder at times to confirm that it's complete and displayable condition. So I paid, this was in 2014, I guess. 
I paid something like 450 bucks for a loose, complete, good condition cyborg. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Nowadays it's like eight or 900, yeah. um, for loose, complete in, I don't even know what condition you'd get. Uh, and that was, that was hefty for me. Like that wasn't like, you know, F you money. Like that was, that was a lot of money for me. Like I was like, Oh God, you know, play sets. That's an even, that's an even bigger challenge. Cause they're play sets. They're big. Um, I had to buy, uh, and this is after you get the, 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 this is when you get past as a collector, you get past the castle gray skulls, the snake mountains, the death stars, the GI Joe headquarters, and you start to get into either the ones that are so big, they cost a fortune by default, like the USS flag aircraft carrier, or you're dealing with things that are so rare and obscure that you have no choice but to pay through the nose to get them. So I spent mm, five years looking for the Robotech SDF-1 bridge playset for the action figures, and that was one where I thought I was going to end up paying 1500 1700 bucks to finally find one um, in good shape. Wow. Miraculously... I found one through a guy in Canada who had found it at a thrift store and it was only missing two small missiles. Oh. And, and I, yeah, right. And it was otherwise, oh, yeah. you know, unbroken. I bought that from him for, for 800 bucks. And that was a massive savings, like a massive savings for that play set. There was one right now on eBay that was uh, about a, a month ago. It was on eBay and it was complete, all the missiles and everything loose. And it was like, the starting bid was like $6,000. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, right? So those kind of things, you never know how they're going to shake out. Um, another example of one that I thought was going to be cheaper than the SDF-1 and turned out to be a nightmarish uh, experience was the Thundercats Cats Lair. Uh, I thought that one was going to be you know, seven, eight hundred dollars, whatever, because yeah. Thundercat stuff just seems to be expensive. Because um, I plan on doing an updated Thundercats video feature, and I wanted all the the main toys. Mm-hmm. So again, I was already trying to collect all of the second wave expensive Thundercat figures in that line for this upcoming video, but I needed that Cat's Lair. Yeah. And so I went in for it, and I paid, you know, like. I think it was like 900 or something, or maybe it was a thousand dollars for one on eBay. Well, it it showed up shattered like glass. Like somebody had dropped the box and it was just, it was literally in plastic fragments, but all of the accessory parts, it was prior to it being damaged. It was complete. So all of those hard to find internal parts, the doors, the hinges, the braces, the computer stations, the, the this, the that was all there. And I told the guy, I was like, look, I don't want to send this back to you. I was like, I need these parts, but I, but it didn't show up intact. So I need some compensation for the shell because the shell's toast. And we worked out a deal and I got several hundred bucks back. And then I had to go find another shell. Oh, well, that man. next shell was like another thousand dollars. I mean, if the prices on this stuff have just been ridiculous. So I ended up paying close to two grand oh. to com- to complete a cat's lair. But the but the 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 playset that just sold on eBay for six grand, the Robotech one, I got for eight hundred. So you can't you can't predict this stuff. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's just like. There's no really, like, a set price. It's just sometimes, you know, people know what they have, and they'll just, like, escalate it. Like, all right, I'm going to give you I'll, – I'll sell it for 1000 I'll sell this for 800 So I guess it, it depends on the buyer too, right, sometimes, right? Yeah, it totally depends on the buyer. Uh, the Crystar Crystal Castle from Remco, I bought one back in 2014 with the box. Those Crystar Crystal Castles, they always seem to still have the box. I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, I bought one in 2014 because it was a it was a relatively common sight on on eBay back then. The Crystar Crystal Castle was a regular participant on eBay. You would see it, you know, in various conditions fairly regularly. And I thought this one's like 80% complete. 
it won't be long before another one comes up and I'll be able to get another one and put one to two, two together to complete one. Another Crystar Castle didn't show up with the parts I needed for six years. Wow. And, I, by, and by that point, I was just like, ah! <laughs> and so when it, when it finally did show up with the, part, the parts I needed, I ended up paying through the nose for that one. And then I didn't make any money back on the resell of the the smaller one, so, or the, the leftover one. It's, um, and I'm not somebody that's a toy seller. You know, people think that when you're a toy collector, you're also a toy seller. I don't sell unless I have duplicates that I just need to offload to save space in my house. And, uh, you know, you'll end up in the loose game. If you're, if, you, if you're the kind of person who's got, like, you know, baller money and you just collect mint and box, then this doesn't apply to you. But if you're in the loose game, and you're buying like you know play sets and stuff like the USS Flag. You're going to end up buying seventy percent of that playset over again just to get everything completed. Yeah, and that's just part of the norm. It's not, that's not me complaining. That's just me resigned to that reality. Um, and then you end up like I'm staring right now. I'm just looking to the left of my workstation here where I'm talking to you, and here's the entire superstructure and hull pieces for a whole other flag uh, that I can't use because I've already completed mine. So I'm sitting here going, well, if it hadn't been for COVID, I would have gone to the next toy show written free on the box and just set it down next to me and waited for somebody to come pick it up. It, I don't really, I don't really want money for it. I just want it gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, wow. It's it's, it's crazy how, like you even said with COVID, it pretty much affected everything because, like you said, conventions. You can't even go to conventions anymore. Everything is done virtually. Everything is done online. Everything, you know, you can't even meet up with people or whatnot. You know, it's just, I think it changed the dynamic of the world and how um, people do things now. Not, Not to say, you know, people were always selling things online. You can always buy things online. But now it's more prevalent because there's not, there's nothing to go to like and I, i've i've it's it's just crazy how this world is like i'm just amazed that we don't have a movie theater now like there's certain movie theaters that are open that you know they're showing like ghostbusters 1984 or something like that and drive-in theaters were the thing for a little bit in the summertime and everything has changed but um i digress um going back into collecting um um you know i think nicholas cage was asked this before um do you feel you own your toys, or does your toys or your collection owns you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've had this debate with a lot of people. Uh, for those of you out there listening who've watched my channel for any length of time, you've probably seen the battles that I've found myself <laughs> in with what's called the anti-repro community. Uh, the short version of this is that they are groups of people who believe that you should not fabricate uh, replacement parts for broken toys or toys with missing accessories. Uh, And they have gone on the record on podcasts and articles and things like that, the leaders of these movements, saying that uh, you should have a plan in place for what happens to your toy collection after you die. Oh, shit. Right? (laughs) Yeah, that that was my reaction, too. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, that... That is mental illness right there. <laughs> that is, you have allowed these these material things to own you. Yeah. I mean, literally. Like, it's like, yeah. I live for my stuff. It's like, what are you, what? Um, I am, and maybe this comes from the fact that, uh, you know, I own, I own a, a classic car and I have to buy replacement parts for it that are reproduction parts, which is a very common thing in the old car game. Um, I also really love um, retro, uh, when I say retro, I mean like old school clothing, like uh, British RAF jackets from World War II and things like that. Well, yeah. World War II RAF jackets are made of wool. So if, there's, if they still exist... One, uh, they're moth moth eaten. Two, uh, they didn't make people the height of six three back then, so none of them are going to fit me anyway. And if you're if you're wearing an eighty to eighty five year old garment every day, you're kind of a total weirdo, like destroying an artifact like that. So 
I guess what I'm saying is my world has always been about um, enjoying the art of perfecting replication of anything, whether it's Luke Skywalker's lightsaber hilt prop from the original Star Wars, which was my first obsession, or figuring out how to perfectly recreate Harrison Ford's hat from Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, wearable, all that kind of stuff. So replication doesn't scare me. Uh, and, and in that sense, I've learned that material things are supposed to bring you a positive level of joy, but they should not own your existence. Um, and as everybody knows, it's your spouse or partner that owns your existence at the end of the day or your pets. It's not it's not your stuff. If your stuff has gotten to the point where you're prioritizing it over family your, your pets, your friends, um, your sanity, then you're doing something unhealthy. Um, now, obviously, there are positive ways where you can let your collection guide you a little bit. So, for example, um, I've heard about people before planning that their collection is going to go to a museum in their area or something, you know, at a certain age or whatever, they're going to hand it over to a museum so everybody can enjoy it in, in town or whatever. That's great. That's great. But this whole obsession with you got to make sure that before you die, you know, you, you uh, make sure that that collection goes to someone who's not about reproductions and you better make sure there's no reproductions in that because <laughs> the next person that buys your collection could get duped and then they'll have a reproduction in their collection because you didn't tell them before you died. And it's like, dude, take a pill. Like there's, you know, yeah. um, I don't know if that answers your question, but no, I firmly believe that, that if you want to invest in something that you think needs to, you know, be something for your future. It's not meaning financially toys are not it. Yeah. Like get on that, get on that Reddit thread and go buy the next GameStop stock or something like that. Like go, <laughs> get, in, get in the game over there. Like th this is, or buy land or something like that. This is toys are not a, um, they're not, they're not a thing that you should put all your chips into as a life goal. Um, you, I, I've talked to people about this before when it comes to uh, toys being generational. So, for example, uh, Star Wars, Transformers, um, and there was there was another franchise I was thinking of, but I can't I can't recall it off the top of my oh uh, Ninja Turtles and possibly Power Rangers. Those four seem to be cross generational. Those four seem to be ones that will be perennially desired as the years go on. But everything else, all the ones that are hot right now are only hot because the generation that remembers them has the expendable income and they haven't sold them off yet. But here's the deal. How many people in our generation are going to go to a toy show and they're going to see a vintage 1950s howdy doody marionette and they're going to want to drop hundreds of bucks for it? Nobody. Yep. <laughs> no one. All right. Nobody in our generation, except the very, very eccentric, wants to own a Model A Ford. Mm -hmm. Nobody in our generation does. They want to own, you know, the T-top Camaros of the of the late seventies. They want to own the DeLoreans and the the you know all that kind of stuff. They don't want to own these old timey Tin Lizzies because it's generational. So all of the value that those used to have, the Howdy Doody dolls and the Model A's, have leveled out and are going down because the baby boomer generation and the generation previous to that are offloading their material possessions, getting ready for or already in retirement mode. They want less stuff to worry about, not more. So the Centurions, the Inhumanoids, the uh, Filmation Ghostbusters, the Starcom, the Black Star, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the Robotech, all that stuff is on borrowed time as collectibles of value. They'll still be around, but you better be buying it for the love of it to enjoy it as a thing and not let it get out of proportion because you're never going to you're never going to get it back the way these guys are talking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's crazy because, you know, it, it's 
like you said, it's not for everybody because, like you said, you spend X amount of dollars on getting like the collection, but you're also mm-hmm. doing it to inform the audience, and you know, you're doing your show about it, about right. the Thundercats and whatnot. So it is very expensive. But um, is there? I know you talked about it before. There are toys that have eluded you. Um, is there something that's on your radar right now that is hard for you to find or hard for you to get? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, um. I've been uh, I've been looking at uh, you know certain lines that I've been blessed to have people just donate stuff to me out of the blue. Yeah. So for example, um, a few live streams ago, we were surprised by a guy in Europe who, to my great shock, sent me the Galaxy Ranger Heroes, and I was blown away because they weren't sold in the United States. They were just not offered here. Okay. Um, the show was here. But the toys were not. And the toys were made by Galoob. Like, that was a company we knew as kids back then. Yeah. Um, so, excuse me. So when you're trying to um, piece those together, uh, you know, they, they, there were three villains in that line. Well, the villains are just as hard to find as the heroes. You're going to be uh, searching and searching and, and, and trying to, you know, you know assess condition. Is, is it worth me paying the $250 for this one figure um, that I'm only seeing in photos that's going to be shipped to me from France with the chance that it might get lost in shipment? Uh, is that worth it? I don't know. You know, like, is it could my $250 be better spent on a few Marvel Legends figures that most people are collecting right now that I could do a video about that... Uh, you know, people would really enjoy. Now, that's not to say that I collect to chase views or clicks. As a matter of fact, I do the opposite. For anybody watching, I've been on YouTube almost nine years, and I haven't cracked 100K subscribers yet, which if you're chasing trends, that's unheard of. So I'm not chasing trends. I do what interests me mm-hmm. uh, on my pla- on my platform. Um, so, like, for example, when I, when I buy a modern figure, it has to be a modern figure that is something I really uh resonate with so like i pre-ordered the marvel legends firestar uh because i want to complete my spider-man and his amazing friends trio at some point uh but i haven't bought into a lot of the marvel legend stuff uh when it comes to things like you're talking about that you want but you just can't find um i i've worked this my whole life but especially since retroblasting began in 2012 i have been able to nail down uh, a number of the hard to find things now certain you know on the pirate map how it'll say like over here they don't know what's there so say here there be dragons or whatever it is yeah. there are areas where i haven't been able to quite pin down certain things so the remco karate kid line for example wow yes. uh, yeah yeah there are i have the fig i have a number of the figures i don't have all of their accessories that came with them necessarily like i've got some of their scrolls i've got some of their karate uh action training setups and stuff like that but like i don't have any of the three or four play sets i think they had four play sets i don't have any of them uh they come up but when they come up they're often missing pieces or they're broken or things like that and so you sit there and i've learned that lesson from the Star play set and the uh the, uh, the Cat Slayer playset, I've learned that lesson of these are rare enough that if I'm going to pull the trigger, they better be complete because I don't want to be chasing multiples of these down to complete one. They're too expensive. It doesn't make financial sense for me to do that. I'm willing to pay for a complete one. Like no. I'm, will- I'm willing to pay what it's worth for a complete one, but I'm not willing to pay for multiples and then trying to sell off the parts. I'm not, I, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one, that's one that's, uh, like that. There are certain figures like from the Coleco Rambo line, uh, that were some of the last figures to be made. Um, they're very hard to track down. Um, I have pieces and parts of some of them, mm-hmm. but I haven't prioritized buying those because to me, those are the extra. They're not core Rambo cat Troutman, the two ninjas um, and Turbo—that's the core of of the of the 
the, the cast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they were the ones in the cartoon. Now, yeah. the other characters showed up toward the end. Same thing with Silverhawks. Like, the only core character from Silverhawks I'm still missing is Hotwing. Yeah. And that's only because Hotwing is so hard to find in good condition. And I want him to be display worthy uh, with the rest of my Silverhawks. Oh, yeah. Um, Thundercats, I was able to track all those down. I was even able to get, uh, over time, a lot of the G.I. Joe mail-aways that are hard to find, like Starduster and Super Trooper and The Fridge, um, things like that. Uh, Steel Brigade we had from when we were kids. Uh, recently, for example, there were, there were pieces and parts of the vintage Star Wars line that I was never going to go after because there was just no point uh, because of the prices. Uh, one of them was the early bird display stand. Uh, the mail-away display stand from 1978. Um, the base for that showed up, the, the platform for that showed up in a surprise donation that we had on a live stream last week or two weeks ago. So now I've decided, okay, well, it needs some repair work. Um, it needs some resto, but, but I'm willing to do that now because it's in my hands and I'm somebody that likes to pull the parts together and complete something. Um, but would I have gone after it on its own just to have it? No, I would not because it didn't interest me. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird like that. Like I'll collect core samples of certain lines and then I'll kind of go whole hog on others. Oh, here's one that's impossible to find. Um, the a team, uh, the Galoob a team action figure line, had a uh, they had two scales. They had the three and three quarter inch scale, which yeah. was GI Joe compatible. Yeah. And then they had the five six inch scale, whatever that was. The figures are hideous as far as the way they look, but they're the ones I had as in, as as a kid. I had Face, I had BA, and I had Hannibal. Yeah. So I've co I've completed that line of figures, but I don't have the helicopter or the playset. That playset is nigh impossible to find to the point that certain people have claimed in toy groups that that playset was only sold through catalogs and only 250 were made. Now, I don't know if that's even true or not. I can't verify that. But the fact that people are saying that that's the case shows you how rare that playset is. Yeah. So those are a few things that like are not in my collection uh, that I would like to have at some point, but... I just haven't done it. Yeah. And, you know, on YouTube, there's a network of toy toy collectors out there. And, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of, like, analog toys and all these other shows they have. Have you collaborated with them? If, like, there's something you can't find they might have or whatnot? Or they're probably... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, analog toys. Um, he, Tony, has been... He's a, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we've gotten to know each other over the last few years. We talk all... We talk literally every day. Uh, and Tony, um, he got together with a friend of his in Scotland named George. And they started hooking me up with the British Action Force toys uh, because they are in markets where those toys are more plentiful uh, in, you know, secondhand sales and things like that. Yeah. And I really wanted that. I really wanted, you know, British Action Force, for those of you listening that don't know, is British G.I. Joe. Um, and... and it's directly tied to G.I. Joe. It is, it is the rebranding of G.I. Joe for the British and Australian Commonwealth market, whatever you want to call it, Canadian, Canadian market. And um, they've sent me, sh shockingly, like I was buying them slowly because they all came from overseas, so I had to like buy one here, buy one there. Um, but they just started loading me up with them. They were just like, here. And it was like it was like it was like action force stuff started hitting me in the face like it was shot out of a cannon. And I say that with all the love in my heart because I now have the action force cardboard headquarters that's very, very hard to find. It's missing a piece here and there, but I'm slowly trying to find those pieces and George and, and Tony are, are working to help me do that. Um, and then in reverse, I try to help uh, you know them find stuff too. So I sent Tony a uh, vintage Darth Vader Tie Fighter that was complete because those were very hard to find in the in the part of Australia where he lives. Um, and I just sent him one of those because he's you know he's been so helpful trying to help me find stuff. He found for me uh, him and George an entire uh, Action Force uh, 
uh, ATC, Armored Troop Carrier, which is the highly superior adaptation of the 1983 G.I. Joe APC. Um, so I now have that for my collection. Um, so yeah, I've been very fortunate to connect with a number of YouTubers. Salvador at uh, Two Cents Toys, who does a lot of modern stuff. He has a great channel. And he's blitzed me with stuff before. Like, I remember one time I opened up a box and it was just tons of Mega Constructs Masters of the Universe stuff, including the castle, Castle Grayskull. And I'm going, geez. And he's like, yeah, you know, there was like a fire sale on these and I've always wanted to hear your take on them and I wanted to send them to you. And it's like, wow. Um, collaborating with, with YouTubers, though, is a, it's kind of a, a, a matching of personalities. Um, and, and, and when I say personality, I put that in quotes because a channel's personality can be very different from a host's personality. True. So like, so like channels have different end games. Um, and, I, and I'm not putting a judgment on any end game. So for example, there are some channels that work the algorithm. They work the, um, the relationships with the big companies, they want to be mouthpieces. I'm saying that without any negativity. I'm just saying that's what they want to be. They want to be friends with the big companies so that they can get the latest scoop and put the news out there and get the latest figures and, you know, be the first there on the block, you know, read all about it types. They want to, you know, here's the headline today, new action figure coming out for the umpteenth bazillion version of the Mandalorian. Read all about it. <laughs> And they want to be the first person with that figure to show off and everything like that. Those types of channels group up together and, and kind of help one another. Haven't seen a lot of collaboration, but I've seen some. Mm -hmm. Then you've got channels like Tony uh, at Analog Toys and Two Cents Toys and myself, who we buy all of our own stuff by and large. And instead of prioritizing the relationships with the big companies, we prioritize the audience. We prioritize our viewers and fellow collectors because we are in the trenches with them buying stuff, whether it's on Amazon or trying to go to Target or making that 15th trip to Walmart for that exclusive or GameStop or whatever it is. And we, we're always just, you know, reflexively another collector. And so we work that side. We're, they're prioritizing big companies. We're prioritizing fellow collectors. Um, and that creates a totally different atmosphere, channel to channel. So that's, I don't know if that answers the question, but maybe all your audience now thinks I'm like a raving crazy person. <laughs> that's, that's, no. kind of, that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. No, it's true. Like, the thing is, with, with collectors, um, I think we're, we all have our own neuroses in a way of like, I think everyone has... I don't know, everyone's compulsive about something, you know, it, whatever it is. It could be stamps, it could be coins, it could be, you know, um, action figures it could, or whatnot. So everyone has that. I think yeah. we all have that quality where we want to possess something, even if it's like physical media, like DVDs. Like, you know, I remember I was collecting DVDs for a long time and then I just stopped. I was like, why am I collecting it? You know, the only time I used to get DVDs is because I wanted the special features. I wanted to hear the audio commentary. Now everything is pretty much, if you have an app, you know, the movie is pretty much there. If you have Amazon or Netflix or whatnot, you know, but I, I, I don't know. It's not the same as owning the physical media itself as opposed to having it online. I, I, I don't know if that's the nature of humans where we like to own something. I don't know if, if that has anything to do with it, but, you know. Well, like, I know a number of people who watch uh, my channel who are grateful that they can watch my channel without having to go. F they've said to me. I'm so grateful that I have a place where I can come look at the stuff that I can't possibly, you know, recollect or just don't really want to take the time and money to recollect, but I can see, you know, really decent, crisp visuals of it in good condition and relearn about it. Um, so there are people who live vicariously through these YouTube channels, which is kind of what I've talked to uh, Tony and Analog and, and Sal at Two Cents about a lot, which is that you know, because there's this generational bubble of value, anybody collecting toys for value are going to be out of luck unless Star Wars, Transformers, and Ninja Turtles, and maybe Power Rangers. Um, to that end, 
the, the toys themselves in videos, like in features about them, I think people are always going to have an interest in the history of these things and what they were about. And so the long-term interest will be in the video records and chronicles of these things rather than active collectors hoarding the physical objects and amassing them. Because we, we've gotten to this place in society where you know, the generations coming up they're very used to shared economies, whether it's I'm going to do a ride share. Uh, I believe that I don't have to actually learn much because I have this device that hooks me up to all the knowledge I could ever need. And I'll just watch a YouTube tutorial about yeah. this or read an article. Um, and so that that comes down to certain types of possessions as well. Um, I think I think that there will be a larger and larger contingent of people that will want access to the knowledge. They won't have any interest in owning the thing mm-hmm. and we we on the other hand though through memory we collect you know because of memory now people will want their icons they'll always want their icons which is why and i say this through gritted teeth it's why funko pop vinyls have become so popular oh. i know right but i don't i, I hate those myself yeah i'm um, not a fan yeah <laughs> but the icons if they're made in plentiful numbers and they're that's why uh, hot toys is so successful you know high quality stuff that is a true icon so like if your favorite character from the avengers is black widow and you like her in the winter soldier better than any other movie that marvel made you can get a hot toys black widow winter soldier specific 12 inch figure for your display room and i can see these these upcoming generations buying one or two icons like that for their for their lifestyle for their their office or whatever but as far as like people uh you know in subsequent generations collecting large amounts of of toys and stuff like that that's going to become a very specialized niche eccentric hobby as time goes on um it's going to be like that guy that we all know there's we all have groups of friends you know this you there's always one guy in a big group of friends that collects vintage watches and everybody else is kind of looking at him like, yeah, that's Dave. And Dave, for some reason, he's, he's literally 19 years old, but he loves collecting wristwatches from the twenties. And it's, and I don't mean the 2020s. I mean the 1920s. And and he's, he knows all about the tortoise pattern bands and the, you know, the, the rectangular faces versus the whatever and which ones wind and which ones don't. And he's always wearing a bow tie when he goes to get a burrito or something like he's that guy. There's always that guy, but that guy is not like toy collectors right now. There's a lot of us, but it's cause it's generational, mm-hmm. but eventually two generations past us, there's going to be like that kid that was like, like my nephew or something who was born in like, I don't know, 2013 or whatever. And there's going to be a kid in his class in college who's going to be into action figures of the 80s and collect them. But he's going to be an outlier. Like, he's going to be that guy who's just, you know, charmingly eccentric. They're not going to be 20 or 30 of him in a five-mile radius like there are right now. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's true. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's collectors are far and few between depending on what they collect so um you know you've been collecting for a long time and um i you know it's 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 you feel like i think it's been pretty successful for you you know having a youtube channel and um putting knowledge out there for the people you know because there's people who are curious about things and you know having an episode based on the real ghostbusters and getting facts and facts about it besides looking at the toys is pretty cool um a question for me curiosity um would you ever cover the Highlander animated series and do you have the Highlander animated series toy collection? You know, I love Highlander. Uh, uh, growing up, I loved the director's cut of the original Highlander. And it was funny. I took the tagline literally, there can be only one. Yeah. So like when my brother, my brother was very much into the TV show with, uh, uh, Duncan, Duncan McLeod. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I knew a lot of people that love the TV show my college friends dragged me to Highlander Endgame. Yes. I had only,
only ever seen and always own, I always own it on a physical format, is the original Highlander. Got it in my Blu-ray collection right now. Mm. Uh, I'd never seen Highlander 2. I'd never seen Highlander 3. I remember the ads for Highlander 3. But I never went and saw it because there can be only one. I'm like, there's no story after this. (laughs) So I went and um, Highlander 4, Endgame, was one of like three movies I've actually walked out of because I thought it was so bad. Uh, actually, I probably walked out of it out of self-righteous indignation because they killed Connor yeah. in it. And I was like, no, that's BS, you know. But um, if Highlander has an animated series, I consider that to be uh, like an alternative timeline and it's a different product. Yeah. And I would be happy to see it, you know, and also review the, the toys as well. And also that would give me an opportunity to talk about Highlander as a franchise. Uh, I like to I like to bring in other hooks into this kind of stuff. Like I'm working on this video right now about um, Pride of the X-Men, which is a one-off episode yes, of, yeah. of the X-Men, yeah. And uh, all the little twists and turns in there give me opportunities to talk about like, well, what was the comic book doing in the 80s? And how popular was it? And why did they wait till 1989 to bring out this one animated episode? And why three years later was there a big Konami arcade game based on it when the Jim Lee number one X-Men had just sold 8 million copies and the animated show that was successful was coming out in October of that same year? You know, like, so there's all this extra stuff you can pull in. So like a Highlander animated series and toy line review would be excellent for that because it would be like I could talk about Highlander and its sequels and how they, you know, really tried to start tying the, the live action TV show to it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that would be a rich video for sure. Yeah, like it was it was a good the series was like canceled prematurely. And I think it's one of the few figures where you could get a Juan Sanchez Ramirez toy, which is a with the action figure format, which was pretty uh-huh. cool. You know, yeah, that is why. Yeah, yeah, that is that's neat. And I would, if there was a really, really decent like Connor McCloud action figure, then yes, I definitely would want that. You know, in the trench coat with the tennis yes. shoes and everything. Yeah. That's my boy right there. Is Connor McCloud? I know that people love to make fun of uh, Christopher Lambert and everything like that, but I like him. I think he's great. I've done impressions of him on the live stream a lot from Highlander, um, and, and, and out of pure love, by the way. Like I, I genuinely like christopher lambert's performance in highlander and that character so yeah yeah he's a legend um mike what's been your highest highs and lowest lows in 2020 mm. do you mean personally or um do you mean what, um, what um um personally professionally if you want to say personally that's totally fine no no that's fine um i think the i think the low for me we'll start with the lows uh the low was probably uh, the bad timing because I, I finally left my corporate job in, um, in August of 2019. And I constantly have this joke that timing throughout my life has always been bad. So like I graduated from college right before 9-11 and the economy tanked. Mm. And then I graduated from grad school right before Katrina and the economy tanked. Right. And so, and so then I finally decided to get away from corporate jobs and go out there on my own full time. And COVID happened, the lockdown happened and you know, like it was like, really? So on the one hand though, it kind of saved my bacon because the lockdown sort of made the internet a place where everybody was going to for solace and entertainment. So in that respect, it didn't really hurt retroblasting in any way but it did create a lot of chaos for a lot of people and a lot of things were kind of in flux um the highest high personally for me in 2020 was finally getting married um melinda and i had been together since 2009 and uh i'd always wanted to propose uh to the woman that i was going to marry a certain way even before i met her i had this plan in my head and that that didn't happen until uh 2019 so uh that was probably my highest high was 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 getting married um and then as far as like professionally speaking i guess it's just been bringing on you know the crew at retro blasting and really improving the live stream and you know crossing that eighty thousand subscriber mark in 2020 and um 
I think I, I think actually 80,000 got crossed like three days after 2020 ended. But I'm going to count it as a 2020 accomplishment. Um, and just knowing that that retroblasting as a channel has a foothold, it has a foothold that's going to that's going to stick around. Yeah, um, retroblasting. You know, there's a lot of shows that I watch out there. Your show to me is actually. I think the most, not to say the other shows are not informative, but you go into great detail of the stories and um, whatnot of each each figures. You know, you know, it's to me though the um, YouTube is one big bag of potato chips. You got Doritos, you got Funyuns, you got uh, Doritos um, Cool Ranch. Yours is the Cool Ranch. You know, like you're very um, James Dean cool without the cigarette, and you really get into detail of the history of the figures and whatnot. And it's very refreshing to hear, especially on a Saturday afternoon where you just want to relax and you just hear it. So like you're very detailed in your presentation, and I I think that's why I love retro blasting. And you know, you know, and the thing is, you know. Um, Sometimes subscribers, like, it takes time. It takes time, you know, and, you know, you're going at your own pace, and that's, you know, that's that's all you can really do, you know, and you don't follow to a niche thing, or you don't follow the norm. You do your own thing, and that's commendable for you, so I appreciate that about you. Thank you. I, one of the things that I'm stubborn about, and, and my, my friends on the team, Tim and Aaron and, of course, Melinda, they love to chide me for it, is that um, when something's hot, like like everybody's talking about something like a, a genre movie that's just come out that reflects like, let's say it's a Marvel film or okay. Here's a great example. Let's say it's the new wonder woman movie, right? Yeah. So like wonder woman comes out. And so all the channels smartly, this is very intelligent. What they do makes total sense. They all find a wonder woman themed thing to talk about, whether it's, we're going to do the, you know, because of the release of Wonder Woman 84, we're going to do the history of Wonder Woman action figures, or we're going to do the history of Wonder Woman in film, or we're going to talk about, you know, Wonder Woman's first movie and how this new movie's shaping up. Like, they're, they all jump on the Wonder Woman thing for like a week or two, right? Yeah. Me, my brain is so broken that I'm like, <laughs> I sit there and I'm like, I resent every single one of you glomming onto this stupid trend that's nothing and it'll be gone in three weeks. So I put out a video that's like, I'll put out a video, like say it's Wonder Woman out there, you'll watch Retroblasting put out a video about flags for the Cobra stun. <laughs> like it'll just be something totally different. It'll be like, nah, I'm going to talk about uh, Ninja 3, the domination. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, and, and, it's something I want to talk about. Like I'm not, it, it's almost, it's almost to the point where I'm not doing it deliberately against the grain, yeah. but I just, I just don't regard the grain. Like I just don't, the only things that I'll do as videos that go with the grain are when it's, when it's um, news about uh, Hasbro doing something in the toy world that doesn't make sense. And then I will give my take on that if it's a big enough thing to talk about. But otherwise, like if it's like a trend thing, like, you know, Spider-Man's coming out with Spider-Man 3. So we're doing a video about the history of Spider-Man. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm going to go do a move, uh, a video about uh, Richard Dean Anderson being in Stargate or something like I'm, And people have actually told me. Uh, on various occasions that they appreciate being able to go to retroblasting to get away from yes. the, the parroting that's going on. It's like, I can go here when everybody's talking about the Mandalorian, Michael is talking about mullets, yeah. you know, or something like that. Like it's, it's yeah. Yeah. The thing is, you know, you don't conform to the norm, you know, you go in your own way and that's, yeah. that's how it should be. Um, and, and, um, what for, um, for you, Michael, um, what like the way 2020 is i mean well 2021 i should say um what what do you what what was your new year's resolution last last year i would say and um and like how you feel 2021 is going to hold up oh yeah uh it's funny it's funny that you brought that up because i was just talking to melinda about that like last week um my my 2020 resolution which i totally failed on uh and I mean totally I mean totally failed. Like, oh, oh man, this is gonna be a doozy then. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So in twenty twenty I said in January of twenty twenty, I said, Well, my New Year's resolution back in nineteen eighty four, 
All right, so we're taking the Wayback Machine to 1984. My father bought a, a full set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And as part of that set, he bought the Great Books of History, which is like one of those promos that they give you when you buy the, the encyclopedia set. Now, the encyclopedias are long gone because encyclopedias don't retain uh, relevance. You know, information changes. You find out there isn't a Brontosaurus and there's no longer an East Germany. So you can't really have encyclopedias from back in the day. But that 54, 55 book set of the greatest books in history floated around our family that whole time. We kept them every, we moved to England and they were with us. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia, they were with us. And then finally one day, my dad was like, hey, um, you want these great books of history? And the great books of history are all hardbound volumes, numbered of things like Tolstoy, Freud, um, uh, uh, all that stuff yeah. and I was like well sure I'll, I'll take the 54 books so I've had them for like I don't know three or four years now well in January 2020 I said you know what Melinda I'm going to make it my New Year's resolution to read every one of these books and Melinda looked at me and she was like you're crazy and I'm <laughs> like why, why? She goes, she's like babe those books she's like you're, she's like, you're a smart guy. She's like, but those books are very, very dense and varied. They're going to put you to sleep more times than you can imagine. Well, admittedly, I never really even went over and grabbed them. I kept focused because then the, the pandemic hit and we were all focused on, you know, staying locked down and, you know, there was anxiety and I was trying to make videos. And so I never actually opened them. Well, last week I said, you know, solution i said i'm gonna read it yeah the thing and i'm standing there and i i opened the the book and you could hear that kind of like sort of like brand new crack as the book opened and melinda goes have these never been read by anybody and i'm like <laughs> i don't i was like i don't i don't think so my dad he prides himself on the fact that he doesn't read and these are from 1984. She's like, my God. She's like, your dad just bought them to have. She's like, he's like, he's, he's, he's like the great Gatsby. He just has books to make his library look cool, but he didn't read any of them. I'm like, yeah. So then I tried to read like the first two sentences of Kant and I put it down, which is bad because that means I'm already failing on my resolution, but I haven't given up yet. I'm going to keep trying. So. And, uh, my final question for you is what would the Michael of today tell the Michael of yesterday? Mm. I have thought about this. I have thought about this before. Mm -hmm. um, where have I landed on that one? Because there's so many things I would say to him. Um, well, I would tell him not to... Uh, pick out the friends that he did pick out in college because they all turned out to be worthless sons of bitches. Um, <laughs> I don't even talk to them anymore. Uh, I would tell him... I would, I would definitely tell him to not waste any energy on trying to make other people like you. That's mm. not to say that, I'm, that I wouldn't be telling young Michael to actively be rude or mean to people. What I would be telling Michael is... Don't overly invest in trying to make people notice you or like you and just keep focused on the things that interest you. Um, don't don't let people get into your head that, well, you're not spending enough time with us or you're not. Spend it's like, you know why? Because all those people that said that stuff to me in the past, they're all gone. They're not here anymore. They're literally not in my life. So it was like all that time I wasted with those ne'er do wells. When I could have been, you know, continuing to build my skills. And then the other thing I would tell young Michael is uh, in 2006, when YouTube starts, you will have a film degree. Get on that shit. Like, mm. in other words, don't wait till 2012. Like, start a YouTube channel in 2006. Don't mm. wait. 
Those would be the things I would tell young Michael. Oh, uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure to talk to you on promote your social media, promote retro blasting, promote anything you have upcoming up. Yeah, uh, for anybody who's interested, uh, I'm on YouTube. It's our uh, www.youtube.com backslash retroblasting. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as retroblasting, all one word. And um, yeah, I'm working on a video feature about Pride of the X-Men. Uh, I'm working on a video feature about Bionic 6. I'm working on a thought piece about uh, Disney's uh, Star Wars strategy going into 2021. Um, and I'm working on some restorations of some classic vintage toys, including the Cobra Terror Drone. So there's a lot on the docket for 2021 with Retro Blasting, and I hope people will stick around and enjoy the ride. Yeah, there's a lot of videos out there on Retro Blasting, so um, any possible toys or shows you can think of, he probably covered it. So check it out on Retro Blasting, and um, this was the one and only one half of the of, of the dynamic duo, Michael French. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Atomic Podcast. I know it's been long overdue, and hopefully we could do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I'd be happy to come back. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>